The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 114. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bethanelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today, we're discussing the third Doctor story, The Ambassadors of Death. I have to say it in that voice. <laughs> Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. Uh, retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. Uh, leave us comments, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, where you should hit the bell to get notifications. Uh, and above all, share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community, reach more listeners uh, in this period between seasons. Uh, we we want to reach out to folks and say, hey, we're still here. We're, we're, we're giving you great content. There's some interesting uh, stuff we're talking about. Um, you know, get your Doctor Who fix, that sort of thing. So please uh, share it with others, especially if you can write a review on iTunes That's uh, that's or uh, any other um, podcast directory. That's a big help. Uh, another little bit of news, uh, 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 show news. If you go to sqpn.com slash Doctor Who, you can you can click on a link there to the the new Doctor Who store. Uh, we're we've, we're going to be putting up links to various um DVDs, like seasons, individual episodes, like there's a DVD or Blu-ray of uh, Resolution up there, the, the latest New Year's Day episode. Uh, we'll put one, a link, I think, I'm not sure if I put the link to the Shada uh, DVD up there when we talked about Shada, those sorts of things. We're going to be putting links to books and DVDs and seasons and all that sort of stuff there at, so if you go to sqpn.com slash Doctor Who, you can find the link there. And anything you buy while, after you click that link um, that you buy at Amazon, it helps support the network and the show and helps us continue on. So uh, th that little business done. There's some news. Uh, I'll, I've got a couple things and I know Jimmy's got something, but I'll, I'll just throw these two bits out there first. Uh, David Tennant, the 10th doctor has a new podcast. Uh, that's right. Uh, the, the doctor's podcasting and uh, he's going, it's, uh, it's called uh, David Tennant does a podcast with dot, dot, dot uh, ellipsis. So and it's basically going to be him interviewing friends, uh, you know, mostly uh, many of them are famous stars that, you know, like uh, Olivia Coleman, who was his co-star in Broadchurch and Ian McKellen, who was Gandalf and, um, you know, lots of people like that. But uh, of immediate interest is he's going to be interviewing Jodie Whittaker. So the 10th Doctor will be interviewing the 13th Doctor. Wait, yes, 13th. I get mixed up on the numbers sometimes because I get seasons and doctors. So that, that could be pretty interesting. I mean, especially yeah. if they, they do talk about their experiences on Doctor Who. But uh, David Tennant, 
Come on, man. You could come up with a little better, a little more original title than that. <laughs> he is not putting a lot of effort into that title. <laughs> so apparently there's a, 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 a single, you know, introductory episode up there. And uh, so it should be interesting to, to check that out. Any, any Doctor Who fan uh, is, is going to be interested in this. Uh, uh, funny, funny enough, the, uh, the, the Twitter, uh, the tweet that went out to announce it was from his wife, Georgia, who we all know is the doctor's daughter and also Jimmy. the doctor's yep. daughter. <laughs> yes. She is the, she's the, the wife of David Tennant, the daughter of um, Peter uh, Davidson, Peter, Peter Davidson. His first name. I lost it for a second there. Peter Davidson, who was the fifth doctor, etc. You know, all that. And she you played know? the doctor's daughter. And then she played the doctor's daughter. Uh, so very uh, interesting way of all those things connecting. So uh, Jimmy, you oh, actually, what um, I did have that other bit of news, which is very short, which is that, uh, series twelve, season twelve has started filming with the uh, the Jodie Whittaker and the and the other companions that Woo-hoo. we know. Uh, everyone's returned, um, and they're in South America. Ooh, which is filming or? Uh, yes, they're in. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry, South Africa, not South America. South, South Africa, America. okay. South Africa to film, which is also the way they filmed um, Rosa and. Uh, parts of Ghost, so you know who hmm. knows who knows what that means, but uh, but they're 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 headed uh, south again. So, yeah, uh, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, Jimmy, you had uh, some news yeah. as well. Yeah, so I thought I'd give a little mini review of a big finish um, uh, box set that just came out this month. It's the Diary of River Song series five, and what's fascinating about it is they themed it this time with the Master. So we've seen. River Song encountering the Doctor at different points in his timeline, and um, now we have a box set where uh, four one-hour plays essentially, where River Song encounters the Master at different points in the Master's timeline, and it's a lot of fun. Um, the first of the plays, which is called the Bechdel Test, um, is between River and Missy. And mm. the, with Michelle Gomez as Missy and the scene where River realizes who Michelle Gomez is, is really nice. It's really nicely done. Um, you know, um, so uh, she had never encountered the master right. and especially not Missy on the on the show. So it's a nice first meeting for the two of them. Um, the title is an allusion to a famous test that is applied to movies. Um, a film is held to pass the best Bechdel test if it has two women in it who hold a conversation about something other than a man. <laughs> and and so here you have these two women and what they have in common is the doctor and they or because of reasons they can't talk about the doctor now they actually do a little bit there are people trying to get them to talk about the doctor but mm. they're they're resisting talking about the doctor and so that's the that's the irony of the title um <laughs> The second of the plays features Jeffrey Beavers as the master, and he was the like burned up corpse like master mm-hmm. in The Keeper of Trocken. And he's done a lot for Big Finish before. He is very suave and calculating. 
Um, he's his his stuff is the master, and, and Big Finish is really good. He even recently wrote his own play, uh, like hmm. what he would do as the master, and it was a lot of hmm. fun. Um, the third one has Eric Roberts as the master. He was hmm. originally the master in the 1996 TV movie. And he's been widely panned as like the worst master ever from that movie. <laughs> um, this is only the second time he's played the master and he is so much better. Mm. He is he's been given decent material to work with and he's not playing it over the top. He is he, he actually comes across in a lot of ways as the most reasonable of mm. all of the masters. Um, in fact, he's so reasonable. River doesn't even realize who he is for a long time. Interesting. Um, and uh, and then finally, we have uh, Sir Derek Jacobi is the master in the last installment. He was mm -hmm. the master immediately in David Tennant's era at the end of the world, immediately before regenerating into uh, John Sims. And he's the war master. So he's mm -hmm. the master during the course of the time war. And he also comes across as very suave, but a little more manic. Yeah. yeah he he actually did a bunch of uh, big finish audio as the war master, didn't he? Yes. Yes. They have a box set out as the war master. They've worked him into unit. They've worked him into river song. So he's doing a good bit of work for them right now. Yeah, we keep threatening to do an, a special episode of Doctor Secrets of Doctor Who. On big fin the the essential big finish productions, um, yeah. and probably the only reason we haven't done it yet is because it's such a big like. Where do, how do we narrow it down? Because <laughs> it all yeah, sounds so good. I mean, yeah. they've been producing audio for what twenty years now. Doctor Who audio yeah. for something like twenty yeah. years now. They have audio with David Tennant before David Tennant was the the Doctor. He <laughs> plays he plays some parts in Big Finish. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but uh, this is this set is a lot of fun. I've been making a study of Big Finish's master related material recently, and and this set's a lot of fun. All right, so uh, that's a little preview for, uh, to uh, precursor to our uh, main topic, which is uh, this uh, third Doctor story, John Pertwee story called "The Ambassadors of Death." Uh, so this aired uh, in March to May, nineteen seventy. It was seven parts, seven episodes, um, and uh, his. It was the third story for the th for the third Doctor. So it was the, there's just the very early days in his in his run. So and that means it's the ninth. <laughs> or are we three, three squared? Three squared or or oh. or, or six? I'm not sure how that worked, okay. but there's, there's some math in there somewhere. And yeah. uh, his companion in this one is still Liz. And I have to say, Liz is quite cap continues to be quite capable. I have I I enjoy. Uh, their repartee and her mm -hmm. her work in this uh she breaks out the french and she's got you know she she uh, tries you know almost escapes from the bad guys <laughs> she, yeah she and she takes charge of like a bad guy who's kind of on the road to reform and starts planning and you yes. know telling him what to do and stuff she's very capable she reminds me it, it struck me during this uh, watching this one that she's kind of a replacement for the second doctor's companion zoe who had who had been there up until three stories before this, mm. Mm. Um, and uh, and Zoe was a young woman from the twenty first century, late twenty first century, who um, was very smart and I mean really preternaturally smart and kind of was a rival for the Doctor in terms of intelligence. And they've taken away the rival mm -hmm. aspect, so Liz isn't really the Doctor's rival, but she is very very smart. 
And rumor is that's part of why they got rid of her because she was too competent. Yeah. So she only lasted a season. Yeah, that was this kind of a shame that that she was just she was there and she was almost a little too good. And they said, now let's let's bring in the uh, eye candy instead with uh, Joe Grant, Joe Grant. Yeah, but I but they, it worked with Zoe. So I don't know why it shouldn't have worked with Liz. I think Liz is fine. So the the story itself um, involves a so like the a near future uh, story. So this, Jimmy, this gets into that whole question of the the unit the, dating what, controversy, right? Yeah. Uh, could you recap that for us? Sure. So the unit stories were filmed at, beginning in the, not like 1969, but aired in 1970 and so forth, and early in the 70s. Um, but they, there are indications in the stories that they're set in the near future, and a few seasons down the line, Sarah Jane Smith is going to say. She's from 1980, even though it was like 1974 or 1975 when she said yeah. that. And so uh, it, th this story has evidence of it being in the near future because they've apparently had like seven Mars missions where mm. people have been to Mars seven times. And that had right. not happened in 1970. It still hasn't happened. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, that would be an indication for the original 1970 audience that this is near future. Unfortunately, they didn't consistently maintain the idea that it was in the near future. And they also slipped in references that implied they were being filmed in contemporary 1970s time. And so that's led to a controversy of do the unit stories occur in the 70s or the 80s? And they actually winked at that in the day of the doctor, the 50th anniversary special, where <laughs> Um, the brigadier's daughter, the new head of unit, uh, is talking to her assistant and and wants her to look up something from this era and says, you'll find it listed under the 70s or the 80s, depending on the depending on the filing convention. <laughs> right. That's right. So uh, well, as you mentioned, so the story revolves around these Mars missions. And so there's this is the, the we're, we're see at the beginning, we see this the seventh uh, Mars mission is is coming back. and. Uh, the way it works apparently is that uh, they it rendezvous with a spacecraft in Earth orbit called Recovery. So you have Mars Seven and Recovery Seven. And, and the reason they've they've sent that up is because when the astronauts blasted off from Mars, they immediately went radio silent and have not yeah. been heard all this time. So Recovery right. is like a rescue ship to try to get them from their own because apparently they're not going to be able to land it on their own. Right. Right. And uh, well, and it's it's a British space agency. That's the other aspect of it. Although yep. it's somewhat international, there is a French uh, scientist and I think a Russian or German. Uh, the accent was a little slippery there. <laughs> but uh, well, and of course, it's, it's interesting that they chose to do it as a Mars mission because this aired literally what, as yeah. nine months after the moon uh, Americans landed yeah. on the moon. For the first time, you know, so, of course, the U.S. is going to the moon. So the U.K. has got to go one better and go to <laughs> Mars. But, you know, so this was something that would have been very much, you know, in people's imagination at that time right. of this going to other planets and having these missions. And, and yeah, the pods looked very similar to the Apollo style pods and things like that. So it, people could, although the chairs look more like barber chairs than actual <laughs> they, flight they chairs. Some, some of the. uh the set uh, dressing was a bit uh, a little uh, uh, back lot uh, junkyard <laughs> versions of things. Uh, <laughs> although they do a lot of running around outdoor uh, filming, I have to say that. Um, so it 
when the the this this ship um connects with recovery 7 there's difficulties and then they lose contact with that one and the astronaut on that ship there's a uh, uh this transmission that's a painful trans you know a noise um and that's when the doctor and unit get called in to because the doctor was watching it on TV and and, and he recognizes that it's some kind of communication. Yeah. It's also a kind of audience identification moment because watching space stuff on TV was exactly what loads of people had just been doing. Right. Exactly. So one interesting thing about that, by the way, at this point in the in that in that episode, the doctor had the TARDIS console out of the TARDIS. So we don't right. see the t- TARDIS at all in this episode. Like it is not pre- present in any form in this, except for yeah, the, the console. The blue, box, the, blue, the blue box is not there. And this this continues into the next episode, Infernal, because yes. he's trying to figure out what the Time Lords did to it so that he can't travel. And so he's trying to fix it again. Yeah, and that's the why console. You have, that scene where, yeah. you have that scene where they're flashing in and out of, of, you know, 15 seconds ahead in time. Yeah, it's actually quite, quite, uh, I mean, it's a little bit four-dimensional here because he and Liz are like, as he's fiddling with the console, they're flipping, he like flips Liz 15 seconds into the future and they're kind of playing tag with each other over a <laughs> over a period of a, of a few seconds, get, catching up yep. with each other in time. Yeah, in, that was in clever. Yeah. The, the fact that the, that the, console is out of the TARDIS is going to play a big role in the next serial because as a result of his continuing to fiddle with it, he's going to flip not just 15 seconds into the future, but into a parallel universe. Oh, oops. Yeah. This is why I don't repair my own appliances. That <laughs> yeah. <play> well, a <laughs> parallel universe with the brigadier without a mustache. Oh, yeah, where the royal family has all been shot. And it, it's like and he has an eye patch. Yeah, we'll get to Inferno, but yeah. that's one of my that, one of my favorites from the Pertwee era. Me, too. It's personally. a lot of fun. Oh, cool. So um, they they track this signal that uh, where it was going. So it came from space, but it. It, it the the a return signal came from this abandoned warehouse seven miles from the space center in London, which is quite convenient uh, for them uh, because it's so nearby. Um, and uh, long story short, because the they kind of they kind of drag out this story over <laughs> seven episodes. It could probably been oh, you know yeah. about could an hour and a half. Yeah. You could cut out Bessie breaking down. You could cut out the car chase. You get a couple of car chases. A couple of escapes. <laughs> More than a couple. Yeah. So in this case, uh, they, there's this gun battle at the warehouse. It was kind of funny to watch because <laughs> one yeah. of my favorite moments was the, the brigadier, sta- you know, crouching behind cover, stands up so that he's exposed from the waist up and then fires from his waist. <laughs> like, yeah. Why not just shoot <laughs> over the box? Why are you shooting from the hip? Uh, it was just funny. And then some of the uh, the fighting action was uh, they, they didn't spring for uh, stuntmen. So it looked really like well stage they, fighting. they did kind of because there there's a uh, action group called havoc mm-hmm. who this was their first episode that they were in throughout the pertwee era would show up as unit soldiers oh okay for, in, in these action scenes so a lot of these these action scenes it was this group havoc who would <laughs> show up so it, it's from this point on when you see a bunch of uh unit, unit soldiers getting gunned down it's this uh, this havoc yeah. group there's it's up. like a stuntman group Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and it, uh, that doesn't stop some of the action in this from looking really fake, though. I remember <laughs> there was one moment where a scientist takes a gut punch and it's clear yeah. the gut punch does not connect. <laughs> yes. It, it, also... it looks like a Captain Kirk gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a, 
another fight outdoors where uh, someone takes a swing and they just like it's obviously it doesn't connect and he goes flying rolling down a hill and then like oh yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, but but it's also this is what it looked like on tv back these days mm-hmm. this is what mm-hmm. you know we didn't well, have the I, high standards we have today well i brought up star trek because of course this was shortly after the original series star trek yes and the action looked very similar in that so oh, yeah. i mean this yeah. this is contemporary i mean this isn't yes this is not a knock on doctor who specifically just from a perspective of 40 years plus on. So, so I was I was kind of struck by later on in the series at one point they're they're at unit headquarters or whatever and they need a car to go to fight the bad guys and <laughs> yes. they don't have one and Benton says, "Well, there is the doctor's car." And they like take Bessie to a gun battle. That's <laughs> they got the guns <laughs> hanging out the side. That was awesome. Yeah. They get the soldiers hanging out. The priceless of that though. He just kind of like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny to see the uh that well, then there's a, we actually also see a uh, Bessie at another point has this very interesting anti theft system mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. um if you if you turn it on whoever's touching the car at that moment gets stuck to the car and they yeah. cannot yeah. get loose um and the the doctor uses that to good effect to cap to, to temporarily capture some bad guys yeah the it, Bessie is kind of a paradox in that it's an old-fashioned car you know it's like an old roadster but the doctors Mm -hmm. tricked it out with all this future stuff so it's like a retro future car yes yes it's like it's a james bond car basically it's got all the 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 gimmicks and stuff um the the, uh we we get a glimpse in this gun battle that the the people that they're fighting are not aliens as far as we know unless they're human looking we find out later on that they're not but it turns out that they are, in fact, the, at least the leader of them is this General Carrington. He is mm-hmm. this, and he is an astronaut. He had gone on one of the earlier Mars probes and is now the head of security for the space agency and is actively cooperating with whatever is going on, this mis- mystery in space with these ambassadors well, of death. Yeah. So and they we said, should... and he said that he's head of security actually for the space agency. Actually, he was the head of space security. So he was Donald oh. Trump's space force before Donald Trump proposed <laughs> it. Okay. We, we should explain who the ambassadors of death are. So sure. when the when the ship, when they finally recover the initial spacecraft, um, these guys in spacesuits get out and they never take their helmets off and they're like sucking up radiation like crazy. In fact, way more than any human being could stand and they need radiation to survive. And you right. can't see into the <clears throat> into their helmets. Their helmets are like clouded over and everybody at first assumes something really weird has happened to the astronauts and... um and they're like lumbering around and they're very menacing and they can kill people just by touching them or touching things that the people are touching. Yep. It's like an electric shock jumps. If you're holding a gate and they touch the gate, you'll get shocked to death. Um, and and with these faceless spacesuits, it's uh, I thought it was very effectively creepy. It's mm. it, they later reuse that in um, uh, silence in, in the library, silence in the library. They also reuse it in. Uh, the River Song, Lake Silencio stuff, where right. you have the creepy mm. spacesuit coming out the of the impossible lake. astronaut. Yep, right. And they use it in other things like Scooby Doo. So, a like faceless <laughs> spacesuit can be very effectively creepy. And here we've got like five of them, and these are the ambassadors. We eventually learn 
that they are um, they're not humans. They're actually uh, aliens, apparently from Mars. We they don't seem to be ice warriors. They never establish right. exactly what they right. are. Right. Um, but they are apparently Martians and they've been sent to and they're keeping our astronauts up in orbit. Uh, while they send the ambassadors down mm-hmm. to make peaceful relations with us, and they've sent, the, they've sent who, who turns out to be the bad guys, like the plans for a limited translator device, which right. the bad guys are then using to make the ambassadors kill people. And because once, the, right. once yeah. the doctor builds a full translator, he learns that the ambassadors don't know why they're being asked to kill people. They're very upset about this, but they're going along with it. And it turns out the reason the bad guys are doing this is because Carrington believes the aliens are up to no good. And so he's trying to provoke the nations of the Earth into attacking the alien mothership mm-hmm. in orbit. And that's his plot. He's he's genuinely trying to protect right. mankind. He thinks he's right. doing the right thing. Yeah. So Carrington, on his when he on his trip to Mars as an astronaut, encou- first encountered these aliens. And that's when he set this plan in motion to for peaceful relations but but he apparently uh was uh trying to dupe them into it and it's an interesting it's an interesting twist on the alien invasion story because for a large portion of this story we are led to believe that aliens bad aliens are coming Mm -hmm. and they're going to they're killing uh humans and they're going to apparently invade and we have to stop them and then it gets flipped on its head at some point where it's right. it's the humans that are the bad guys or some of the humans. And and then one, one even, in particular. even the human bad guys aren't bad. They're just misguided. Right. 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 Well, it, you ended up with, you really a couple with of three, three groups <laughs> and Carrington was kind of playing all of them where, of course, you had the, the space center people with the doctor and, and the brigadier. Yep. You had the uh, Sir James and their security people. And then you had the 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 robber, the guy who was running the underground cavern there where they were holding the. Right. The uh, the, the uh, ambassadors. The ambassadors. Yep. Yeah. Ambassadors. Yeah. So you really had kind of three groups and the general was playing all three of them. Right. Against mm-hmm. each other. What was Sir James the head of again? I, I, I forget. It was. He was kind he, of like the space agency. Oh, Sir James like, Quinlan. Yeah, yeah. He was like a government official in charge of space stuff. Okay, so he was sort of the oversight for it, right? Right. Yeah. And at at one point, the doctor kind of mistrusts him because Sir James knows that they're aliens, but he thinks that it's it's being set up for him to get credit for making contact and ha- making Correct. peace with the aliens. So Carrington's playing him. Carrington's playing the bad guys who are holding the ambassadors, who then are playing General Carrington. That bad yeah. guy wants to use him to rob banks, <laughs> which is just funny and then uh it just it goes on and on and this this whole circle of things it's a complex story i have to say and and having seven episodes to kind of play it out does keep it from getting too too windy was, in, a, in a short it was, space it was still i thought kind of confusing at first eventually of course as the threads started to play them out right it got a lot less confusing mm-hmm. um but it was uh, was very confusing at first, you know. Uh, one, one character we haven't mentioned, by the way, is Lennox, the uh, the, the disgraced professor who right was helping kind of keep them alive and learn about these these aliens mm-hmm. and who yeah, Liz Shaw eventually befriends. Yeah, he right. was working for the bad guys and was having that as as Jimmy had mentioned, 
it was having that change of heart uh that it was it was uh going to uh you know go back to the brigadier and yep. and and reveal all and then was in, you know killed by his was basically nuked yeah. <laughs> So at there's, one point, but, but, by the way, uh, there's something interesting. I, I assume y'all noticed it, but uh, there's something interesting about the way they do the credits in this episode. And yeah. I don't think they've done this before. At least I haven't noticed it. But they start by playing the Doctor Who opening credits, you know, with John mm-hmm. Pertwee's right. face and the time vortex and everything. Then we have an, the opening of the story. And then we have a mini credit sequence. Right. They they throw up a graphic and then the words the ambassadors comes up and then of death. And (laughs) and when of death comes up, they play this cheesy little electronic noise. Right. Um, And so we kind of get like two credit sequences in. Yeah, uh, it was it was very different the way they they did that. I don't remember them. I mean, there was there was things like the war games where they would have like, you know, battle going on behind the the, the title war games and stuff like that. But as far as actually having the having the the uh, cliffhanger and then the opening sequence again, Mm -hmm. I don't remember them doing that before or after. Yeah, it's yeah. that they they replay that last scene from the previous episode. Uh, although in in at least one case, I noticed. I don't know if it was every every time. It they redid the scene from a different angle. I don't know if you yes. know if that, yeah. that. So I don't know if they did it every time. But. And I don't know if they did it every time here or not. But they th- that was kind of standard TV production uh, to just redo the cliffhanger yeah. scenes. Yeah. I've I've recently been watching uh Dark Shadows, which I mm. it, it's on Amazon Prime and I, I used to watch it when I was like four or five years old. I'd rush home from from nursery school and watch it in the afternoon because it had vampires and werewolves on it. And <laughs> it was I mean it was a soap opera with vampires and werewolves. So right. um but I've noticed that they you know they have the standard soap opera cliffhanger at the end of every episode and then next episode they just react it. Every time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was pr- it was probably easier for them just to start out with the cliffhanger and just keep going as they're acting them out instead of just cutting. Because I know there are there are episodes of Doctor Who where they start with the cliffhanger from the previous episode, but then they change the end of it as they move into yeah. the storyline for the next episode. Right. So it doesn't always line up exactly like the cliffhanger before. It, it's glitches from the time war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. By the way, speaking of things that are kind of cheesy and don't make sense, um, this whole plot has a big hole in it, which is why don't if you're sending ambassadors and your aliens, um, maybe make radio contact first. Mm-hmm. And and when you do send the aliens, send them with a fully functional translator, not just a translator that enables them to receive instructions to kill people. Yeah. Well, why send them in? Like, why do the the replacement thing either? Why just land in your own star spaceship? Yeah. Although maybe it was the idea was uh, we we don't want to cause a panic, so we're kind of right. sneaking them in to have talks with the governments first. And that's and that's that uh, might be Sir it. James kind of says that as you know we don't want to reveal this. As I recall, I think there was some point where he says something like we don't want to reveal this to the whole world and panic everyone. Right. So well, it was the it was the Carrington was going to do the broadcast. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, at one point, uh, the doctor decides he has to go up into space because they they uh, to, to to get to the um, recovery seven because it, uh, uh, to, to recover the astronauts. They had to send somebody right. up. 
Yeah, um, so we get to see John Pertwee like stretching his face to effect <laughs> mock gravitate mock acceleration. <laughs> right, right. He gets extra G's because uh, he's a because he's a time lord and he can uh, take it. Uh, so that that was interesting seeing the Doctor go into space without the TARDIS. That was a a new a new thing in this one. Um, the uh, what else do we have? We had, uh, um, gosh, we had just all this back and forth about um, Carring- Carrington just so intent on a making sure that like you know you're you must be the bad guy and no you must be the bad guy and always finding like the like a way to distrust everybody his paranoia rampant all over the place it was very interesting to see that i I, one scene i love is where he went to geneva for the u.n security council (laughs) and of course they did make a decision which is actually very accurate for the gn or the u.n so (laughs) yes yeah, and uh, he's apparently back in an afternoon. Uh, that's one of the things about this is, is how quickly they travel everywhere. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, he had a meeting in an hour in Geneva, leaving from London. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Even even with modern aircraft, you can't do that. <laughs> right, right. Um, the uh, There was an interesting moment where a unit picks up the doctor's SOS. And one of the unit mm-hmm. soldiers says he's sending his, uh, we hear his save our souls. Apparently... Mm-hmm. That's the origin of what of SOS, the, the Morse code. Yes. Is is stands for save our souls. Or save our ship. Save ship. Our, right. It's probably originally save our ship. It's originally save our ship, but then as it got used on more than just ships, it yeah. became save our souls. We needed a different word with an S. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um the guards just had a, a, at the uh, space center have a very bad habit of answering the phone just after they let the bad guy out the gate. That was, that was something yes. I noticed happened multiple <laughs> times. Um, and it, you know, there, there's, I mean, is there, there's not much else. I mean, is there any other points that you want to bring up? I mean, it's a pretty I, straightforward story. I just marvel at the little translator box that, that they've developed uh, based on the plans. The alien sent, it's got a dial and yeah. You, yeah. you like twist the dial and then press it to tell the aliens to do something. And you can give them the most amazingly complex instructions just by twisting that little dial and pressing it. Among the instructions <laughs> you can give them are walk into this secure facility, open all the doors you find, rec- uh, kill everybody you meet, uh, sabotage the plant, open a safe, destroy its contents and seal the room. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> that is an incredibly wow. dense language. <laughs> and, and, and the list, of, the list of instructions were on one regular sheet. I guess it would be <laughs> A4, you know, whatever the, the British equivalent of letter sheet is. Yes, <laughs> that was good. The, um, how about how about something on that dial about let's ex- let's open trade negotiations or <laughs> something like yeah. that? Apparently, the doctor also has the ability, a, 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 perhaps a native ability to transmigrate uh, objects that he's holding. So at one point he enters mm-hmm. a computer lab with a the old-fashioned computer tape, and it, he's able to make it disappear from his hand and then reappear a moment later yeah. as a quite an interesting trick. Uh, it, is that new? Is that something we the Doctor ever did before or after? Uh, I don't remember it, seeing it otherwise. I assumed it was meant to just be like a magic trick. Yeah. That's oh. kind of what I was like, kind of like a, a large version of the, you know, the quarters here and then it disappears. Yeah. yeah. Although that's it, a very big thing to make to make disappear behind your hand. <laughs> yeah. 
but uh, it, uh, okay. So I mean, it would I be mean, interesting they, if, they, if they accomplish it with you know stopping yeah. the camera and so forth. Right. But right. But my, in, I think what they were going for was that doctors doing a magic trick. Exactly. Yeah, we did have a couple of uh, pretty good uh, green screen moments as well with the dark yeah. on the alien ship. And this is that's new because this is, uh, you know, previous to this season, just four stories ago, this was a black and white show. And now they're starting mm -hmm. to use green screen already. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, and it was uh, effectively done again for the era so that as he walked out, uh, you know, away from the ship, he did appear to be walking in this tunnel. I mean, Mm -hmm. to be. To be touching the floor—that was always the one of the key tricks with green looks, screen to the stage. Yeah, the alien ship, which they say is enormous and half a mile wide, it looks like the Doomsday Machine from the Star Trek episode, the Doomsday Machine. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. It does. I, I also like when the Doctor finally meets the Earth astronauts. They're watching a little alien television set, and it's got alien stuff playing on it. But they're under a perception filter or something. They think they're yeah. on Earth watching a sports game. And right. they're like all watching the same sports game and agreeing on the scores with each other. <laughs> so, uh, so I think is there anything else you have uh, on this one? Uh, uh, I got a couple of small things just, yep. um, you know, uh, through a lot of uh, John Pertwee's era, actually through a lot of from John Pertwee's era onward, the doctors listen as a scientific advisor of unit. Well, in this, he was just the brigadier's associate. Yes. He hadn't quite gotten the scientific advisor yet. Um, kind of a car couple of car notes uh there's the chase scene he was being uh liz was being chased by a uh ford capri which was the the british ver was supposed to be the british version of the mustang so it was kind of like yeah. their pony car the mustang never made it over there so it was a ford capri which was kind of cool to see because you, yeah. don't, you don't see those here in the states that's for sure i i like how during the car chase and I, my first thought was a car chase oh joy that <laughs> means nothing will happen to advance the plot until this is over Right. Um, but, uh, but in the car chase, I like how in the close-ups, Liz Shaw's floppy hat not only doesn't blow off, it doesn't even blow around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's an open car. So, yeah. um, and then, you know, the Brigadier takes off in that, uh, uh, staff car, just, you know, sedan and the engine takes bullets despite being a front mounted engine and all the bullets came from the back and the Brigadier didn't get hit either. <laughs> Figure that one out. Magic bullets. It was, you know, they, they then, got Oswald's magic bullets. And, and then finally, <laughs> J- Jimmy might have noticed this as well. But the brigadier asked for a revolver. Of course, his gun had been taken. He asked for a revolver. And then the next scene, he's being shot with a regular uh, semi-auto pistol. Oh, I caught that one. Mm. He asked for yes, the revolver. Maybe it's maybe the guy with it. A few little uh, just discrepancies yeah. I happen to notice. It was interesting that that chase with Liz, who ended up on a dam on a river or pond of some sort, um, like running across this dam and then chasing her. It was a very odd sort of chase that ended with her kind of runs like a girl, by the way. (laughs) She does poor Liz, a girl wearing high heeled boots and a a miniskirt, and she kind of topples over the edge of. For some reason, she's going over the edge of this this railing at this dam. Um, It wasn't that far to the water. I would have just dropped into the water Mm -hmm. and swam for it for it but uh she uh she, she got caught uh, so. it, 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 i want to know why she didn't i mean why does she even get out of the car because they've gotten <laughs> right. in front of her with their car let's just back up and go around them yeah you know this is this is going to be much more effective than trying to outrun them on foot cars well, can go a lot faster that's like when the doctor uh uses bessie who i mentioned before to stop the uh hijacked truck carrying the uh space capsule uh 
and he's he's trying to get them to believe that his car died in the middle of the road sideways. Yeah, Why was your car sideways? Travel. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Where were you going sideways? Uh, it just uh, I thought that was humorous there. I, I, I have to say that uh, Liz going over the side of the railing and then having to be helped up and captured by the bad guys yeah. is far from the worst literal cliffhanger in Doctor Who history. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, the absolute worst is in uh, the ep- seventh Doctor episode, Dragonfire, oh. yep. where the set just did not match what they had in the script. And so for no apparent reason, we have a literal cliffhanger where Sylvester McCoy climbs over a railing and hangs by his umbrella for no reason whatsoever. He just literally he, like, he just walks to a railing and climbs over. Yeah, and and <laughs> and it goes nowhere. Um, <laughs> and uh, and this is not like it's not like he's being forced to do this or anything. It just visually it makes no sense at all. But it's what the script said to do. Interesting. <laughs> but by the way, there are a couple of holes in this in the script. And I mean, probably more than a couple. More than a couple. There was a moment where the doctor and the the brigadier uh, are in the space center. They've got the capsule in there now, and they've received this spurious order, pre- presumably from Carrington, um, getting them to leave the 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 room uh, and leave the capsule unguarded. And they're like, "Oh, this capsule has been guarded the entire time from when it landed." And I'm like, "Does no one remember that big sequence where the thing was hijacked?" <laughs> Yeah, where the bad guys were in control of this capsule in the truck for an extended period of time, uh, which is presumably when the ambassadors of death were removed from it. So it's it it's it's sloppy, just sloppy. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> All right. This 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 is probably not one of our favorite John Pertwee episodes. No, I, I mean no, I, which I isn't like, to say it's terrible, but it's not I, bad. It just wasn't great. Yeah, it's not great, but it does have some nice stuff in it. I like the way it effectively subverts the alien invasion trope. I like the way that it even gets us sympathetic in the end for Carrington. Um, And I like the creepy menacing spacesuits that, you know, electrocute people to death. Um, That's effectively scary. Yeah, I, I, I did like that at the end where Carrington kept repeating, you know, it's my moral duty it's my moral duty, you know, to prevent right. mm-hmm. them. And you kind of get the sense this guy's kind of got, you know, something broken in, yeah. in, in him. That, and then it sort of explains some of what's going on here. Also, so. notice that the bad guy is part of the British military. You yeah. know, that's something that right. for people weren't as skeptical of their own governments uh, back then as they are now. And that's that's significant. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And also interesting that the uh, just as they get resolve the problems with the aliens, the doctor leaves them to let them talk to the mothership and settle things out. Mm-hmm. He doesn't stick around to work as an alien to work with the aliens as a go between or of any sort. He's like, okay, uh, my work here is done. I'm out. Well, you guys have they, fun. They didn't have enough money for the eighth negotiations episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and we're probably better off for it. All right. So I guess I think that's I think that's all we have to say about the, uh, this uh, this episode. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, like I said, uh, there's there's a lot of interesting good points, not the best ever, but it's still uh, worth watching, folks. And and I'm, oh, yeah. I have to say, I really I really enjoyed John Pertwee as the doctor. I, it's my thing. He's fun. He's yeah. fun. So uh, before we finish, I'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, today, we want to especially thank by name Stephanie W., Ray Michelle L., Kathleen F., 
Clifton E and Daniel D uh, through their generous donations and, and the donations of all of our patrons at sqpn.com slash give. They make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Dr. Who and all the shows we do at sqpn.com. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of the ambassadors of death? If you got a chance to watch it or uh, once you do let us know what you think. Uh, you can go to sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us feedback on the show, a uh, particular episode there. You can send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And you can find uh, links in our show notes at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor story, The Lazarus Experiment. And talk about bad special effects. <laughs> Just wait to see that. <laughs> Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Uh, thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, how many beans make five? Right. This is going to be fun.